0: Yeah, so we the last session and the uh, last section of David's life, and basically David's life um, as king on the throne. And I'm probably just going to try to give an overview of, of this time of David's life. And um, I want to kind of look at five different aspects uh, during this period of his life. First, his ascension as king, uh, some of his responsibilities as king. Uh, his reliance on God, um, purpose, uh, purposes of his heart towards the thing of things of God, and lastly his um, family life. So, um, first thing I wanted to look at was um, his ascension as king. And if we read um, in Second Samuel, we know that he became king at the age of thirty, and it's the same age that the Lord Jesus his public ministry, and um, we know that in the Lord Jesus's life, um, his early life was him preparing for his public ministry. We don't read much about the life of the Lord Jesus at a young age, um, but we know that he was going about his father's work. And um, as we've seen from previous sessions, that David's early life Um, had prepared him for this position that God had for him um, as king. Um, We see that he was already serving the people. Um, He was already uh, in a relationship with God from a young age and God was able to prepare him and use him in this position. Um, And we saw, we've also spoken about in previous sessions how David was faithful in the small things, and David and God was able to entrust him to to the greater responsibility of being king um, and we read in second um, Samuel chapter 5 and verse 2 and it says also in so this is the people of Israel Israel speaking to David there's also in time past when Saul was king over us thou that is David was he who led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, that is David, thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be captain over Israel. So um already David was in, like I said before, he was in the service of God. He was serving the people. He was already um, taking on that role that God was preparing him, and obviously at this stage of his life, now he's officially taken on the role of being king. Um, and it's, it's a similar aspect as I was, wanted to just mention the section in, in Acts chapter 6. It's a similar aspect when the apostles are selecting people to do the work of God because they had their own responsibilities. Um, in verse 3, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look among you for seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Who we may appoint over this business, um, and these these men that were selected by the apostles, again, they were the type type of people that were already involved in in God's work. Um, the, um, so it makes it makes sense that they were the ones that were were picked for this um, additional work by the apostles. And again, David was already um, in the service of the people and of God, and it just. Makes sense. It was a natural progression of, of his life to come into this position that God had prepared him for. Um, and if we if we contrast that to to Saul, um, when he was supposed to be publicly presented as the king, he was hiding in the baggage. Um, he wasn't ready. There was no foundational work in his life for that position as king. Whereas David. Um, He'd had that foundational work. He was in the king's palace previously. And he'd let out the people. He brought them in. And when it was time for him to be presented as king, um, officially he was ready for it. Um, and we've already spoken how that relates to us as young people that we should be using our early years for the service of the Lord and for the preparation for more service to come. Um, in, later on in our life, and um, when the time comes for us to, to take on greater responsibility, uh, we'll be ready for it. Um, and again, so that kind of brings me on to my, my next point as David as king, um, and with the kingship and the leadership comes the responsibility, and some of that is, is passing judgment, and we see a bit of an up and down here in, in, in David's life. When it comes to judgment, um, one of the very first things he kind of does, even before he is king, is um, he he judges the Amalekite who claims to have killed Saul. And if we read in the end of um, the first First Samuel that Saul essentially killed himself, um, and this Amalekite comes and he he says to David that it was either killed Saul, trying to kind of get in the good books of David and whether whether David saw him as a liar or not, he says to him, you know, basically, how dare you stretch out your hand against the Lord's anointed? And he has him executed, and it's, it's a righteous judgment. Um, well, however, he read the situation. This Amalekite was a false person, dishonest person, and the judgment was correct. Another judgment that David passes is on the two captains of uh, Ishibasheth. that's how you say his name, um, that's one of Saul's sons and after Saul died um, he tried to make claim to the throne, he had two captains of the guard that were supposed to protect him but instead um, they kill him while he's sleeping and they go to David and again trying to get into David's good books with with something, um, with sin, with murder and David passes a righteous judgment upon them, um, and he has them executed. Uh, some of the, the judgments that possibly, possibly aren't some of David's best judgments would maybe be uh, Job. Um, in the same kind of period where David judges these two captains, um, Job murders Abner, who was one of uh, Ishbosheth's servants, um, and David doesn't really pass judgment on, on Job, uh, Job. Um Instead, he just curses him, which, uh, in light of what just happened with um, the Amalekite and the two captains, it doesn't seem as harsh. And Job goes unchecked, and we learn that later on he um, he proceeds to kill another one of David's nephews, uh, Amasa, and also one of David's sons, Absalom, and um, you kind of see that there might be a partiality um, with David's on David's behalf towards his family. We know that Job was um, one of his nephews, and maybe that's why um, you know his judgment isn't so immediate towards him. Um, and Job is one of these characters who acknowledges God, but is still considered an evil man. Um, he was never counted as one of David's mighty men despite his two brothers being counted as one of David's mighty men. And one of the other judgments that David passes is on Ziba, or really he doesn't judge him. Um, Ziba, who is Mephibosheth's um, servant, he deceives not only Mephibosheth, but David himself, and David doesn't really do justice for Mephibosheth. He kind of just gives this um wishy-washy Ansel when um, he's confronted with the situation between Zeba and Mephibosheth. Um, and you see that, you know, there's kind of a human aspect in, in David's judgment. Um, but we still learn that it's important to be able to decipher between what is right and wrong. And thankfully for us, um, we're not ever called into this position that David had in that we need to to judge or pass judgment. Um, The only real judgment or disciplinary action that is taken from us is usually in in an assembly matter and it's usually an assembly kind of setting. Um, But it's still important for those who might be in kind of leadership roles when these kind of situations arise um, in the assembly that they need to be able to discern between what is right and wrong. And, again, we just see that, um, again, David is, is human. He's going to make mistakes. And if we contrast this to the Lord Jesus, who is the perfect judge, and, again, thankfully, he's not taken up that role of judgment yet. We're still in the day of grace. But when he does take up that role of judge, um, there will be no partiality with him. Um, it's not going to matter if... Um, you know, we're all going to stand before before Him, and it's not going to matter if we come from a good Christian family. If we've gone to church um, every week, or you know, if our brothers and sisters are good Christians and whatnot. Um, if we stand before the the Lord Jesus, um, we need to be right before Him because when He comes to pass judgment, um, He's impartial, and we see that in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, and verse 15 when um, his mother and his brothers are seeking him and he basically answers them with saying, whosoever shall do the will of my father is my mother and my brethren. So again, there's no partiality with the Lord. Um, And when we stand before him, there will be no excuse. And This is a very serious thing that we need to consider, especially if we haven't, Accepted the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Um, moving on, another another one of the responsibilities as King, which we've seen also in the last couple of sessions, is his care for the people um, as a shepherd. We've already mentioned before that he protected the people, um, whether it was Nabal's, um shepherds themselves or you know he goes out into battle for the people. And um, we've read. In Second um, Samuel chapter 5, that the Lord speaks um, to David saying, Thou shalt feed my people. And he literally does that with Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth sits at his table. Um, and we also see in, later on in David's life there's a famine in the land. And David goes out to, to resolve it for the people's sake, even though it is a difficult thing to do. Because it involves um, Saul's, Saul's children, and but yet his caring for the people allows him to go about and, and do this. Um, and then the last chapter of Second Samuel, chapter twenty-four, um, where we see David sins when he numbers the people, we see and we've already touched on this in previous sessions. We see how he cares for the people and he calls them sheep, and blaming himself. For the sin that um, that has happened, um, and you know, it's just a reminder for us that you know, those who are in le- leadership roles, you know, we can have an impact on others if we're in a leadership role, and it's just a reminder that um, we just need to be careful on, um, with our actions. And this is a really interesting chapter, chapter twenty-four, because we see that, one, it was actually God's purpose in allowing David to sin in order to judge the people. And, we can, and it's quite encouraging because despite this being such a great sin, we can see how God uses this fall for his, uh, for his purpose. And it's the same for us. Sometimes we might fall and sin, and yet God can turn it around for his purpose. And we see a great example as well in the life of Joseph he was sold as a slave to the Egyptians, and God was able to use that for the saving of his people. And again, we see this this is towards the end of David's life, and we see the maturity that David has in that he turns to God immediately after he realizes his sins. And this is something that's not always true of ourselves. I know me in particular, sometimes when we fall and we sin, we feel. Shame and guilt, and we feel that we can't turn to God. But God is the only one that can help, and it's it's so good to see that um, David turns immediately to God, and we'll see that again in the passage that we'll read tonight, and how David straight away, once he realizes his sins, he turns to God, and it's better to fall into the hands of God than into the hands of of man or you know, at the mercy of this world. Um, and again, in this chapter, we see that there's, there's a personal sacrifice, there's accountability and responsibility for his actions. Um, David takes, um, you know, he needs to go and sacrifice for the people and he insists on paying for the sacrifice. You know, there's no kind of um, the person that he was, person's land that he was sacrificing on. This person offered him the, the, the ox and the sheep to sacrifice, but David says, No, um, I need to pay. Um, there's this personal sacrifice there. And if we think of um, the people as sheep, they didn't actually have to do anything to pay anything. It was David that did it. And um, I can't help but think of the Lord Jesus in this instance, where, you know, Him as the shepherd, He's already gone out, He's paid the price for our salvation. And we as the sheep, there's nothing left to pay. All we have to do is accept him. Um, and we see that there's a personal sacrifice on behalf of the Lord Jesus to redeem us and to bring us to him and into a relationship with him and God the Father, which is just a really kind of, you know, nice thought, um, beautiful image of the Lord Jesus. And this kind of brings me to, to the next point in where David relied um, on God, and we've already seen this in, early on in His life, and it's and it's it's true for His life as king. Um, we read in Second Samuel chapter two and verse one. You know, one of the very first things that he does, he inquires of the Lord, and it's so important to inquire of the Lord on what to do and where to go. And God, as always, answers him and tells him to go up. Um, into the cities of Judah and then if we go to chapter 5 in verse 19 David again inquires of the Lord um, the Philistines had come up against Israel to attack them and you would think that and you know, the Philistines are the ones that have made the first move that only makes sense that we should go and defend ourselves and fight them but no David asks of the Lord, whether to fight them or not, and the Lord tells him, yes, go ahead, um, you'll have a victory. And literally four verses later, the same thing happens again. And despite this being the exact same situation as before, David doesn't assume that he should just go and fight the Philistines. In fact, God gives him a different direction. and Instead, God himself goes out and fights against the Philistines, and David just comes in at the end, him and his men, and they just basically um, clean up the stragglers. Um, and even though it was the same um, situation and the same outcome in that it was a victory for the people of Israelites, of the Israelites, um, it was two different ways of going about it. Um, and let's not assume just because we've been in a situation before that God's going to do the... He's going to work in the same way that he did previously. We should always, in all aspects of our lives, inquire of the Lord. And, you know, another great example of this is the wise men. When they visited the Lord Jesus as a child, they came to the Lord one way um, and Herod told them to come back to him afterwards so he could go and worship the Lord Jesus. But God led them back in a different way. They could have said, you know, We've come this way, let's go back the same way that we've come from. We already know this path, but instead, um, they relied on God and He directed them in a different way. And we see that, you know, David does fall in this um, aspect sometimes. Um, If we read in chapter six, when David is um, bringing the ark of the covenant up into, um, I think, the city of Jerusalem. And they put it on on a cart, which is being pulled um, by two oxen. And it goes over some rough terrain. The ark is about to fall off. User puts out his hand to stop the ark from falling off. And is killed as a consequence. God strikes him down dead. And we see that when we don't inquire of the Lord, there can be um, uh, a great consequence to it. Um, in First Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 13, David says to the people, because we sought him not in the proper way, um, he's speaking about they did not seek the Lord in them moving the ark. They, they went about moving the ark um, in the wrong way. And even though they were doing a good thing in that they were bringing the ark to its final resting place, the way they went about it was wrong. Um, so it's not always the case that the, um, the end justifies the means. Um, it's, the end might be correct, but um, our means or our ways of going about doing God's work needs to be um, correct before him. Um, but the good thing we see is that David quickly learns from his mistakes. And um, they ask the Lord, you know, they, they end up moving the ark to its final destination the way it was supposed to be moved. They put the staves in the ark um, and it was carried the way it was supposed to be carried. And, um, you know, that's that's a really good thing, really encouraging thing to see from David is that he learns from his mistakes um, and he's quick to learn from his mistakes as well. Um, and that kind of brings me to the next point in that his heart was set on the things of God. We've already spoken... Um, about how he wanted to bring the ark to its final resting place. And no one really had considered that before David, you know, in the times of the judges and whatnot. It had been a couple of hundred years that the people had been in the in the promised land and no one had thought, thought uh, bringing the ark to its final resting place. Um, and again, you know, we've spoken about this before. David wanted to build a house for, for God um, it was, it was mentioned earlier this afternoon as well that um, God tells him no and basically God says, I will build your house and I will establish um, your, your lineage forever. We see that in the Lord Jesus as well. And God goes about and he blesses him richly. Um, and also in material things, you know, he gives him everything that he could ever need and wants. And we'll see in tonight's reading, in tonight's chapter, how Nathan's description of him as the rich man is actually quite fitting. Um, And so God God blesses him um, for this. And, you know, in the very next chapter of, you know, so this is in Chapter 7 and in Chapter 8, David gives back to God. Now, he recognises that all things belong to God and he gives back to him, and, you know, rightly so. And... You know, we we should recognise that what we have is from God and we should be using it for his purposes. And here David, although he was, you know, declined by God to build his house and to build the temple, he can still be uh, of assistance to providing, you know, the gold and silver and other materials that were required to, to build the temple. And we only need to read, you know, um, some of the chapters in Chronicles to see how much, he actually dedicates to God, and there's a lot that he does dedicate to God. And, you know, we too, we can give to, to the work of the Lord. You know, we not we might not all be like um, Manuel, you know, missionaries in foreign countries, or, you know, we might not always be preaching the gospel on every street corner, but um, what we have, we should use for the Lord, whether, you know, it's our time, whether it's our money, whether it's prayer, whether it's our knowledge, Um, we've spoken about this in previous sessions, you know, whatever stage we are in our lives, we can be useful for for the Lord, for his work. And, um, even though we might not be doing, you know, everyone's got different jobs. You know, I might not be doing what Michael's doing, what Peter's doing, what is doing, but I can serve God in, um, what he's given me to serve him in, um, and the last thing I want to speak about is David's family life. And I feel like this is really one of the, the downsides in David's, in David's life, the family life. Um, firstly, we read about David in, in Samuel 2, chapter 2 and verse 2, that he has more than one wife, which might not seem like such a big deal. You know, in those days, it was very common for people to have more than one wife. But just because it was common and it was allowed by God, it doesn't mean that it was the acceptable thing before God. Um, you know, at the very beginning of history, and if we turn to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, very well-known verse, it reads that a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And we get example of this throughout the Old Testament, you know, you have Adam and Eve, Noah had one wife, Noah's three sons had one wife each, Abraham had one wife, and when there was a third party introduced into the marriage, it caused a lot of um, strife and, um, and, you know, it was a bit of a disaster kind of thing. Um, Isaac had Rebecca. Joseph had one wife, Moses, Moses had one wife as well. Um, Jacob had four wives, um, essentially, and we see in Jacob's life um, how there was a breakdown in the way God intended the family structure to be. And we see that there's a breakdown in the, in the discipline amongst Jacob's children. Um, they were dishonest um, to the point that, you know, he would have to send Joseph to check on his brothers because Joseph was the only one that would give an honest report. And we can see in Jacob's life that his children are just um, a cause of grief after grief after grief for him. And it's the same as David's children. Um, And this idea of more than one wife, I think the first time we see it is actually in Genesis chapter 4, where it's um, in verse 19, where it's it's in a Canaanite city, so the descendants of Cain, uh, one of them, Lamech, took to himself two wives, and this thing is—it's not of God. Um, rather, it's—it's it's of the devil. It's um, you know the devil trying to distort um, the true image of marriage and what it represents as the relationship between Christ and the church. And so, it's no surprise that when we read in the New Testament, um, in the letters of Paul to Timothy about bishops and deacons, um, those who are in a leadership role, that, um, that Paul mentions that they should be husband to one wife. And not only husband to one wife, but they should have their children in order. Um, this is something that we don't really see in David's children. Um, maybe it's due to the, to the family structure, many wives, many children. Maybe there's a disconnect between David and his children. There isn't really a disciplinary role that David takes for them. Maybe there's a lack of respect for David from his children. And we see that with Amnon, who is David's eldest son, who um, forces himself on his half-sister, Tamar. And, you know, we read that David, you know, he doesn't do anything about it. It says that he's angry with Amnon, but... There's no disciplinary action that we read of um, towards Amnon. And maybe it's, you know, David's love towards him, you know, like I said, he's the firstborn. Maybe that kind of just distorted David's view and he just um, didn't take any dis- disciplinary action. And that kind of causes a chain of effects where Absalom, who is Tamar's brother, again, Amnon's half brother, he goes and murders Amnon. Um, For what he did to his sister. And again, David's reaction is not really disciplinary. He sends Absalom away, and when he returns, he essentially just forgives him. And, you know, we read in the chapter um, that he kisses um, Absalom. And it's it's no surprise that in the very next chapter, Absalom tries to take the throne from David, which leads to civil war. 20,000 people die, and also leads to the death of Absalom. Um, so again, maybe there was a lack of respect um, from David's children towards him, maybe because there was a lack of discipline. And again, later on, Adonijah, who again is Absalom's brother, tries to take the throne from Solomon, and that gets dealt with as well. So there's definitely disorder in, in, in David's family life, and maybe this, this was brought about maybe by God, Um, to fulfill the words that were spoken by Nathan, that the sword will never depart from thy house. And we'll read that tonight in um, our passage. And we can't really say this was a unique situation for David. Um, We read that his nephews weren't exactly the best of men as well. Joab, um, his nephew, wasn't exactly an honorable person. Um, Jonadab, who was also one of his nephews, Um, He was actually the one that gave the idea to Amnon with regards to Tamar. Um, So again, maybe it's just the the family as as a broader kind of um, circle. Maybe there wasn't really the disciplinary uh, action taken then. That could possibly be because there's the breakdown of the the family structure that God intended it to be one husband, one wife. that kind of brings me to the end of, of what I wanted to say. There's, there's a lot more to say about David's life um, as king on the throne, David's life in general. and I really encourage everyone to read both books of Samuel. There's so much more we can read and learn from the life of David.